This is what you might call the, the, the sticking series. It, uh, it will challenge us to stick with various aspects of our lives as we live for the Lord in order that we may be blessed and that others may be blessed as well. So let's look at, it's entitled Stick With Love, and the series topic is Like Glue, Making Your Relationships Stick. Like Glue, Making Your Relationships Stick. And it speaks about the practical principles of meaningful relationships. So let me just read the introduction for the series here. Super glue can fix just about anything. Everybody uses super glue, right? Anytime you get something broken, everybody reaches for the super glue. It always works. Dab a few drops on a of the sticky, sticky stuff on a broken on broken things, and suddenly those shattered pieces are bonded together almost like magic. What if there was a super glue for fractured relationships? How much cash would you fork over for a tiny tube of such wonderful stuff? Does a friend no longer take your calls or respond to your texts? Has your marriage become mediocre? Do you have a work relationship that needs some repair? You're not alone. At times, we all struggle to make relationship, make our relationship intact. In Like Glue, Making Your Relationship Stick, we'll discover practical principles for building lifelong, meaningful relationship friendships with others. You'll learn simple ways to keep marriage fresh and to remove the baggage that can weigh down church, work and personal relationships. Here's the great news. Relationships that have grown cold can be revived with the right bonding agent, of course. Love, encouragement, forgiveness, service, humility, and acceptance. These six ingredients from God's Word can make your relationships stick like glue. Are you ready for a relational tune-up? Are you eager to see others draw closer to you? Then apply these truths to your life and see what God can do through your obedience. And that's the key right there, obedience. Only He can create the bond that, with others that you've always longed for. And so the, the, the first one we're going to look at is stick with love. And then in the, the coming weeks, Lord willing, uh, the next one would be stick with encouragement. And after that, we look at stick with forgiveness, and then stick with service, and then stick with humility, and then stick with acceptance. So those will be the studies we'll be looking at as we move on down the line in the weeks to come. Okay, um, let's look at that question on page one eighty on page eighty nine. Says, what foods do you like best straight out of the oven? 
cookies, okay? Fresh baked cookies, not like fresh baked cookies. What else? Bread, of course. I thought bread is going to be number one. Bread. Bread is number one for you, okay? I think for most people, bread is number one. Fresh baked bread. And so food has some strong associations with memory. Oh, yeah, okay. They, they're. Oh, that's in the back. That's a ban. I thought that was the kids upstairs. <laughs> yes, food. We all we all have some strong memories of food that are associated with with different things, and um, we I'm, I'm sure all of us have some stories that we can tell about uh, some special food that uh, has some had, had some kind of impact in our lives at some particular point or another. But let's look at the Bible meets life uh, section on page 90. They have bread right there. Hmm? They have bread right there. Yeah, they got bread right there in the picture. So, yeah, like I said, most people think of bread as the first thing that comes to mind that, that is like fresh, fresh baked. Okay, let's have someone read that, please. Nobody likes the ends of the bread. I do. I do. <laughs> I, I think they're wrong there. Yeah. The yeah, I think my wife likes the end too. I don't. Go ahead. <laughs> I have four small kids who can make a sport out of arguing. But in the 10 years I've been there, Dad, never once have I heard one of my children scream. No, I don't want the crusty, super stale, cardboard-like music. <laughs> Never. Kids want the fresh stuff, and so do adults. More? Yeah. Yeah, the Relationships are a little like those heels of bread. Over time, they tend to become hardy, even unappealing. Fortunately, the Bible gives us a surefire method for keeping our connections from going stale. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the power within you to produce incredible freshness in the lives of others. This method for growing phenomenal relationships is foolproof, but it's not free. This deep connection is love. Are you disappointed in the way your relationships are turning out? Are you sick and tired of watching people walk out of your life? Do you long to go deeper with those around you? If so, look closely at the words of Jesus as he explained the dynamics of love. Okay. Let's look at the passage then on... Uh that we have in our, our, our handout, John 15, verses 9 to 14. Could we have someone read that, please? As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. <clears throat> I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. Look at the point at the top of page 90. What does it say? Okay, let love do what? 
Just some of your relationships, right? Is that what it say? How many of your relationships should you let love permeate? All of them. Okay. All of our relationships should be permeated with love. Verse 9 through 10 of the passage that we have just read. In the preceding passages, verses 1 through 8, Jesus used a word picture of a vine and its branches to teach his followers that Christian love cannot happen without a continual life-giving connection to him. So if you don't have a continuous ongoing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're going to have a problem uh, being able to uh, express the kind of Christian life that God intended for his followers, his children to have. Beginning at verse 9, the connection between Jesus and believers is described as a loving relationship. And so the constancy of the relationship Jesus shares with his father is the model of the relationship he wants to share with us believers. And so he's given us an example of the relationship that he has with his father. And he says, look at this relationship that I have with my father. And uh, I want you to have this same kind of relationship with each other. That's the word picture that he's presenting for us. The constancy of the relationship is what he's focusing on or targeting at. And so the meaning of love in the New Testament is what you might want to call rich and deep. It's rich and deep. In the Gospel of John, love begins in God. That's where it begins. Nowhere else. In Christ, the Bible reminds us that God sent love to earth to show His glory and to save the lost. Two things His love came to do. To show His love, to show how much God loved us. What does John 3.16 say? That whosoever believeth in Him would have everlasting life. So we see in that verse two things that God wants to do in His love. To show the glory of His love and to show how that love was intended to save lost people. That's the first thing. The second thing is, John teaches us, is that Jesus is the supreme example of love. Everything that he did, all through his life, focused on the magnitude and the uniqueness of his love. And so Jesus revealed the true meaning of love in what he taught. And he exemplified true love in the life that he lived. And so you could say he talked the talk and walked the walk. He practiced what he preached. He didn't just talk about love, but he demonstrated it. And then the third thing that John uh, brings to mind uh, or to our attention is that love is the quality that Christ commands his followers in how they are to relate to one another not only to one another, but also to the lost. And that's the, the last part that's very important because many times people will be won to Jesus by the love that you show for them. Remember an experience we had 
probably told you about this. And, and when we were doing ministry in Jacksonville, Florida, in the inner city, there was a young man that came that we would be able to contact. And he came in and we were able to reach out to him with love and minister to him. And he messed up and uh, he left the ministry. And then he came back and uh, he messed up again. And then he came back and we took him in. And, and this time we had to kick him out because he did some stuff that he wasn't supposed to do. But then he came back. And, uh, you know, someone asked him, but why do you keep coming back? And his answer was, I, I was born in Jacksonville. And I've been through all of the ministries that offer help. And this ministry is the only one where I've found love. Boy, that was impacting. He says, this is the only ministry I've seen where people actually show love. And the fact that we, he got kicked out and he left and came back and over and over. And we never turned him down. We never turned him away. No matter what he had done previously, we never turned. I remember one time he came to me and he, uh, I was in the, one of the rooms working because we were working on the building as we were preparing for it. And I was up in a, on, a, on a ladder doing some drywall work. And he came and he said, uh, we need to talk. And uh, this was right after, well, this is right after Hurricane Andrew. And so my partner was in South Florida helping me do Hurricane Andrew relief. And so I was there working by myself. And so he said, I said, man, you can go ahead and talk. I'll work while you talk. He said, no, 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 we need to go in your office. I said, wow, boy, this is serious. So we went in the office and I sat down and he, he listed off all of the tools and equipment and everything that he had stolen out of the building and sold for drugs. And we didn't even miss the stuff. We had so much stuff there. We never missed it. You know, now my partner probably knew what he had there, but I, I probably didn't know everything that he had. And he listed off all these things, the power saw, the drill, the tools, and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I said, you know what, you've got to go. You know, we because I was afraid that we kept him there, we'd probably take some more stuff. And we had to kick him out. We had to let him go. So I walked him to his room and helped him pack his stuff and walk him to the door. And when I put him out, I said, you know what? There's a place right down the street, drug rehab center that we work closely with. I said, man, we, I can check you in there right now and get you. So I don't want to go there. And I guess because one of the reasons was that's one of the places where he didn't see love. You know, but we had a good relationship with the guy and he would have checked him in right away. And so I said, well, you know, if you won't accept the help that we're willing to offer you, we can't help you and you can't stay here. And so he said, well, before I go, can I have some gospel tracks? <laughs> so we gave him some gospel tracks and he probably gave them out on the bus while he was going to work. But you know, after all of that, he came back. He came back. And when he came back, he wanted to make restitution. He came back with a plan. He says, now, nah, you know, I've gotten some help. I've gotten a job and, and I would like to come back and I'd like to get back in the program and, and uh, I'd like you to collect my paycheck from my employers and take a percentage to, 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 as, as, uh, for what are the stuff I stole and, and, and save some for me. And, uh, and, and we never charged the folks for staying there. You came and you, you live, you live for free. We, we housed you, fed you, clothed you, and taught you a marketable skill so that you could be productive in society. And there was no charge. But he says, you know what? I want you to take some of that money, uh, my paycheck. And so we made arrangements and everything to collect paycheck every week. And, and we did as he wanted to do. But you know what? He messed up again after that. Okay. But again, you know, he kept coming back because it was the only place that he said where he found love.
And that's the point. That's the point that, that John wants to make. Uh, that Christ, the quality of Christ's love commands us for all of us uh, how to relate to one another and to the lost with love. The central command of verse 9 is to remain in Christ's love. Just as a branch draws life from the vine, the believer draws life from Christ. Believers can remain in Christ's love. We can, because Jesus doesn't change, does he? No, the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God himself says, I am God and I change not. He remains the eternal Son of God, the Word, who became flesh and brought God's love to all of us. And so this word remain here, we, I think you have an, uh, a little definition in, on that, of that right there, right? On your sheets? A believer's continual command, connection to Christ? Well, there goes BEC again. <laughs> Could someone open the door, please? Remain also carries the urgent sense of you must remain in my love. That's the sense that the word remain carries. You must remain in my love. For there's no other way the Christian life can be faithful and fruitful. The absolute necessity of continual connection with Christ harkens back to the image Jesus used earlier in the chapter of himself as the vine and the believers as the branches. Okay, let's look at uh, the passages on uh, page 92 in your guide. If we can have someone read that please, from the top. I woke up one morning craving coffee so fiercely that I sprang from the mattress as pressure to the coffee maker. Actually, I do this every day. A steaming cup of coffee in 30 seconds. Yes, please, as I stood there impatiently waiting for something hot and delicious to happen. I realized that the machine had gone on strike. The tiny screen on the coffee maker told me your time is low. It needed water. In short order, I poured in something ordinary so that something beautiful could pour out. It may sound strange, but something similar should happen in our lives. Jesus made it clear in John 15 that there's an oceanside reservoir of love available to his followers, but it doesn't begin with us. Love is found in God. We must drink from the deep well of the Heavenly Father's supply if we ever hope to pour meaningfully into the lives of others. Let me say it this way. The quality of your relationships with others will always be tied to the quality of your relationship with God. Take special note of the word remain in this passage. This is a key word throughout John 15. To remain somewhere is to dwell there continually. Typically, a place where you remain is a place where you're comfortable enough to make yourself at home. Jesus urged his followers to keep their lives fresh by keeping their lives close to him. 
by making themselves at home in his love. Faithful obedience to God's spirit and his word is the key. Obedience to God is the crucial factor in bearing fresh fruit in the lives of other people. Notice how tightly Jesus tied the knot between love and obedience. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Verse 10. In other words, if you do what Jesus tells you to do, then you will feel the full force of his affection. It's not that Jesus will love you more. You're already completely loved by God, but you will more deeply feel and experience that love. And the more you experience God's love, the better you'll be able to share that love with those around you. Our love for others must be grounded in God's love for us. Okay, thank you. Notice what it says. It says it may sound strange, but something similar can happen in our lives. Jesus made it clear, absolutely crystal clear in John 15 that there's an ocean-sized reservoir of love. Can you measure the size of the ocean? No. But that's the kind of reservoir of love that is available to the followers of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't begin with us, it says. Love is found in God. We must drink from the deep well of the Heavenly Father's supply if we ever hope to have to pour meaningfully into the lives of others. In other words, we cannot demonstrate the love of God unless we stay connected to the love of God. Got it? You can't give what you don't have. Can you? That's the point that he's making. And he says, let me say it this way. The quality of your relationship with others will always be tied to the quality of your relationship with God. You've got to have that connection with God in order to be able to pour into the lives of others. Okay, look at the question on page 92. That's question two. What does it say? What do we expect from people who love us? What do we expect? What are some of the things that we expect from people who love us? Hmm? Respect. Respect. Understanding. Understanding. Okay. Honesty. Honesty. All right. What else? Hmm? Compassion. Compassion. And that's one of the key things, compassion, because compassion is so much associated with love, isn't it? When, when the Bible says Jesus had compassion for the multitude, because they were like sheep without shepherd. We could always switch that word compassion and put love there because we know that throughout Jesus' ministry, he demonstrated love. And so compassion is one of the key things that we expect from others. Whenever we're going through a terrible experience, we look forward to, to the compassion that people will show for us, toward us. And so we can be blind to our own beliefs about what love means in relationships at times. And this question allows us to see the different perspective in contemplating what love really means. Okay, there's a section uh, on page 109. You see that with the four pictures? It's an activity like we normally have in, in, in our lessons. It says love expressed. Are you at 93? 
As we receive love from God, we should love, give love to others. Record your, how, typical, how you typically express love within the following relationships. Choose two. If you were to choose two, which one of those, those two would you choose? Family, friends, co-workers, neighbors. Which two would you choose? Family and neighbors. Okay. Anyone else? Family and friends. All right. Anyone else? What's a specific way you can express love to someone who needs it this week? You probably can think of somebody who needs love this week. Think of a specific way that you can express that love toward that person this week. And that is as a practical response to what Jesus is saying here in John 15. So there's your challenge for the week already. Okay, what are you going to do as a result of this connection of love that you have with the Lord Jesus Christ? Okay, let's read, let's read verse 11 and 12. Okay, in verse 11, Jesus took another step in describing a life of love. He had already mentioned it before in the previous verse, but he takes another step, an additional step. Uh, he is reiterating. Uh, he had already taught that believers remain in a loving relationship with Jesus that is expressed as obedience to his commands. Next, he added his reasons for calling us to a life of loving obedience. And that is so that we may experience joy. We all want to experience joy, right? Don't we? Yes, we all do. We all want to experience joy. And so that's just what he's doing. He wants us to demonstrate how we, he wants us to be able to realize how we can experience that great joy. I don't think there's anybody here who would want to desire to experience sadness. Our culture often equates happiness with resisting and rejecting any costly commitment. Jesus' teaching corrects this misunderstanding by helping us to see that deep joy comes only through deep commitment. Jesus' call, Jesus call might be compared to that of a music teacher who invites a young musician to become his or her student and then challenges the student to take on the daily discipline of study and practice. Only the student who obeys the teacher's instructions will know the joy of mastering the instrument and playing the most challenging and beautiful music. So we see that student will not become what, they are, what the teacher wanted them to be unless they are obedient to the instructions. Okay, let's move on quickly because our time is going and uh, it's getting hard, right? All right, let's look at uh, page 94 in the study guide. Living in Christ should produce joy in the heart. Obeying him is not a grim, teeth-clenching experience. Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. When you discover your debts are paid and your sins have been erased, you walk with a much lighter load. And we all experience that when we have these big bills to pay and we pay them off, right? 
In his book, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis told the story of his conversion to Christianity. Lewis drafted, Lewis drifted from God for decades before surrendering his life to his Savior. What causes this brilliant intellectual to come to Christ? The answer, joy. Throughout his life, Lewis experienced unforeseen fleeting pangs of intense inner joy. This deep emotion of delight would appear like a ray of sunshine bursting through the clouds and then suddenly vanish. He came to realize those occasional pokes in his heart were touches of the Holy Spirit whispering God's love and urging, urging him to follow the trail to heaven. Once the love and joy of Jesus is dwelling inside you, it can never be bottled up. The love of Christ must flow both in and out of you. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. We are commanded to love people around us in the same way Jesus has loved us. As recipients of much inheritance, we're not to hoard grace. Instead, we are empowered and emboldened to give grace to others. Jesus was not nebulous or vague about his command to love. He directed us to love people in the specific way he loved. In other words, he says, this is how I'm loving, I want you to love the, this, the same way. He gave us an example of how we are to do it. How did Jesus show his love? He gave. He forgave. He pardoned. He was gracious, kind, merciful, sacrificial, and intentional. When we love people as Jesus does, we begin to break down their defenses. The spark of relational fire is found in these unforeseen moments of love. And so living in Christ should produce joy in our hearts. Obeying Him is not a grim, teeth-clenching experience. These are the points that you want to, want, to, want to bring out. The other one is, once the love and joy of Jesus is dwelling inside you, it can never be bottled up. The love of Christ is shared abroad in our hearts so that we can share it to others. The love of Christ must flow both in and out of you. Jesus says, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. When you love people as Jesus does, you begin to break down their defenses. It's another point. The spark of relational fire is found in those unforeseen moments when love is demonstrated and expressed. Okay, next question. Where's page 94? How have you experienced the joy of loving others as Christ loved you? How have you experienced the joy of loving others as Christ have loved you? Anybody? It requires a deep personal reflection. Think back on an experience that you have had where the love is of Christ. Whoa! I don't know we had that kind of win out there. Okay, now let's look at verse 13 and 14. Someone read that. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. You are my friends if you do what? 
You are my friends if you do what? So how do we demonstrate that we are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ? By obedience, right. Obedience, doing as he told us to do. If you're not doing what Jesus told you, you're not his friends. That's the bottom line. Okay, you're not, you're not acting or behaving like you're a friend of Jesus when you do not do what he says. He says, no greater love than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's what he did for us. Jesus calling his friends, Jesus calling us his friends is a powerful revelation of the relationship he offers us. But it is a truth that is easily misunderstood. So we attempted to confuse friendship that Jesus offers with an irreverent familiarity with what Jesus does or what he makes of himself. Okay, let's look at the final two paragraphs of page 95 of the study guide. Well, to, to make sense, you get to read the whole thing. Every year, on the afternoon of Mother's Day, Charlie makes a dash for the nearest convenience store in search of a last-minute card. With only three cards left in the rack, he is forced to buy and mail the cartoonish card that is jammed awkwardly inside the wrong size envelope. In spite of this, Charlie soothes his conscience by thinking, hey, at least I made an effort. Which raises an interesting question. What's the least amount of energy required to pay the bill of love? How much does a person have to pay to expect good relationships with those around him or her? Jesus set a price when he defined love in connection with the supreme sacrifice. The best way to build a relationship isn't by offering clearance cards that cost less than the loose change. Rather, it's often through pain and suffering. How much pain are you willing to endure for another person? What's, that's the yardstick that often measures your love for them. No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. While it's sometimes wise to avoid sweating the small stuff, this concept typically doesn't apply in relationships. The little things do matter in our relationships with others. We probably, we probably won't have, have opportunities to actually die for others, but a willingness to sacrifice for those we love often translates into the daily need to stifle our own self-importance and study the lives of those around us. In the end, love beckons us to pay a price, sometimes large, sometimes small, for those we care about. So love always demands a price. And it says sometimes the price is small, sometimes the price is big. Okay, let's look at the live it out as we wrap it up here. We have three points that we can, ideas that we can take with us this week from the study, from the lesson, and that's in terms of application. How are we gonna apply this? What's the first one? Give a small gift. Give an unexpected gift to someone who needs it. I'm sure we can think of somebody this week. Attach this simple note as well. Thank you for playing an important role 
play in my life? The other one is what? Think of a relationship that has become stale or even hostile. Make a phone call to see if you can revive or refresh that connection. So somebody have that kind of relationship. Make an effort. And then make a major sacrifice. Think of something that hinders your closest relationship. Golf clubs, salon appointments, cable TV, or car payment, and so on. You could probably think of your own. Then get rid of it. Can you do that? That's one way of demonstrating the idea that Jesus is presenting uh, when he talks about sticking with love. It requires us to give up some. What did Jesus give up? His life. So is it so hard for us to want to give up something to demonstrate love for a person that we care about? That's the point that Jesus is making.